We're going to go to Luke chapter 7 this morning. I titled this message, Compassion. And we know that Christ has compassion. He had compassion on us. Compassion that compelled Him to come to earth. Compelled Him to go to the cross. But He had compassion on people, on individuals, individually. Not just that He died for the sins of the whole world, but He had compassion on individuals. And my friends, that's you and I. And we, too, need to have compassion. I think I've talked about compassion a lot probably lately. But Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So he's on his deathbed. So when he had heard about Jesus... He sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this thing was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. That is key. We'll get to that further in the message. For I, am, for I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. And it's, So now we move to what is really the second story in this passage. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man being carried out. Now, if they lived in the cities, like in, like in Jerusalem, they didn't bury their dead within the cities. They always buried them outside the city. So this is a funeral procession. They're going outside of the city. So they're carrying him out there. It's an open coffin, so they're carrying this man out who had died to go outside the city to have the burial. So he was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. Wow. Jesus turned a funeral procession, procession a time of mourning, into a time of celebration. And my friends, he can do the same thing for us. He can turn our sorrows into joy. He can turn our weeping into laughter. He can turn whatever we're going through into a time of celebration and great joy. And he presented the son to his mother. 
Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding regions. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you. Praise you that you are the giver of life. Father God, that you can raise dead bones up. Father, that you can raise the dead back to life. That they can sit up and begin to speak. Father, we thank you and praise you for that. Father, we know that we were, we're, we were dead in our trespasses and sins until you sent your Son. And Father, we thank you for that life that you've given to each of us. Father, that every day that we can rejoice in the life that we have now, but in also in the life that we are going to have. And Father, I pray that you would help us to remember that every day. Help our hearts to be joyful and thankful. And Father, may your Spirit be upon us every day and guide us and direct us and help us to share that testimony with others for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, the, there's some common threads that go through these two separate stories, and there are some differences also, but the common thread is death. We have the centurion servant who's laying on his deathbed ready to die. You know, it's not a fun thing to, to watch someone die, anything but fun. You know, they, they, they are grasping for their breath or they're gurgling. So they knew that this servant was about to die. Maybe he had an extreme fever, I don't know. But they said, you know, time was of essence. Hurry, go find Jesus. Bring him, it'll lay... It'll touch this servant and make him well. And then, of course, the mother's son had already passed. He's dead. They're having the funeral. But Jesus interrupted. So death is a common thread through this. But the first thing I want to look at is the centurion's uh, servant. You know, this miracle is amazing. But you look at this servant. He had favor in the eyes of his master. I mean, you think about a master that has slaves, servants, whatever you want to call them. Most of the time, well, you would think, well, if one got sick, we'll just get another one, right? I mean, they did not look very highly or favorable upon their, their, their servants or their slaves. For them, it was just a means to get something done. But for this master to send for Christ to come and heal his servant tells me that this was a faithful servant. He was a man of character. He was one that was, could be trusted in all things. One that would not just give eye service to his master, but would do the right thing even when his master wasn't looking. I think of Joseph. When we think of someone being a servant and being faithful, how could you not think of Joseph? I mean, whether he was in prison or whether he was a servant in Pontifer's house, in Pontifer's house, he put him in charge of everything. Is everything I have is yours except for my wife. And his house flourished. He was a faithful servant. This man, I believe, was a faithful servant. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So no matter how your master treated you as a servant, you're to be faithful. Not just giving eye service. You know, we all, we think if, if we're employed by somebody, in a sense, we're kind of their servants. Yes, we're getting paid, but we shouldn't just be giving eye service. 
I will step out here on a limb and say, I truly believe that Christians ought to be the absolute best and most faithful and trusted workers in every workplace. The boss shouldn't have come track us down and find us someplace in a corner with our feet propped up taking a nap when we're supposed to be working. That's not being a faithful and trusted servant or employee. I believe this man was a faithful servant. His master cared for him. So let's look at the centurion's character. A centurion is a captain in the, in the Roman army. You know, remember back in Daniel, talking about all the, the different kingdoms? Well, we're now to the Roman kingdom. Rome is, you know, conquering the world. They would send out, they would have governors and leaders in every region where they'd come in and take over, and they'd have centurions or captains. So just think of another country coming in and we're having to obey their laws and not our own. That's what it would be like. So the Rome had settled in on Jerusalem, Israel, and they would impose taxes. But this man was a good man. He was a good man. He was a faithful man. Uh, you know, most masters aren't going to, like I said, care about their, their servants, but he did. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And you masters... Do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So he's telling, you know, some people will think about slaves and masters and servants thinking, why would God even allow that? Well, friends, because God has given free will. We go back to that. But God knows that man is going to do that, but he, so he says, yes, you're going to have servants, but you're to treat them kindly. You're to treat them with respect. You're to treat them with compassion, even servants. So he tells masters how to treat their servants or their slaves, whichever you'd like to call them. But you're not to abuse them, but treat them kind. He had concern for his servant. His character is honorable because even the Jews, the elders of the Jews, the, the Scripture said that he asked the elders of the Jews to go and seek out Jesus and bring Him. So you're thinking, I'd be thinking, wait a minute, the Jews hate the Romans. They impose taxes on us. They do this stuff. They treat us harshly. But not this centurion. He was kind to them. As a matter of fact, they went and begged Jesus to come on behalf of the centurion, saying that He is well deserving of this because he loves our nation. He loves our people. He even built us a synagogue where we can go and worship. That's pretty impressive. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So whenever the Jews went and they're singing His praises, not he himself. My friends, we are not to brag ourselves up. But let someone else sing your praises. And then don't get proud about that. But we're to be humble. Let someone else lift us up. I think this centurion actually believed in the God of Israel. I truly do. And I believe, or I know, that he had amazing faith. You know, there's only a couple of times mentioned in all the Scripture in the New Testament 
where Jesus is amazed, or it says that he marveled. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, and this is a New Living Translation, of course this wasn't about their faith. It says he was amazed at their unbelief. This was when Jesus was in his hometown. They wouldn't believe. So he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. It says he was amazed by their unbelief. I hope he is not amazed by our unbelief. But in our passage today, the centurion sent those friends and he said to tell them, I'm not even worthy to come to you. But he said to Jesus, just say the word. That's the message he sent. Just say the word. And he knew that his servant would be healed. He had faith that Jesus did not even need to come. He didn't have to come and lay his hands on him or anoint him, do any of those things, but say the word. That amazed Jesus. He turned to the crowd and he said, I have not found such faith, not even in all of Israel, as this centurion has. I hope he would not say that about us, that this foreigner has greater faith than you. Because we know the Scripture says if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can say to the mountain, be removed. And it will happen. You know, I always, as I work through the Scriptures and prepare things, I think, well, how, does, how can this apply to today? Today, the day that we live in. And I think there's an aspect of this passage that truly does apply. How many here today has actually seen Jesus Himself heal somebody? I'm glad there's no hands that went up because I would say, well, I'll have to pray for you. Nobody has, right? We've not seen Jesus Himself. Now, we have probably seen miracles. I have. And I know where the power came from, but I've not actually seen Jesus Himself do it, right? Because we haven't seen Him. The centurion had not seen Jesus. He had not seen any of the miracles that he'd done, that He has done. We know He's heard that the blinded eyes were open. He knows that deaf ears were opened up, that people could hear, that the mute spoke. He knows that demons were uh, delivered or you know, cast out of people that were possessed. He'd heard all those things. But He Himself had not seen. He had not seen it with his own eyes. So where did that faith in Jesus come from? It came from the testimony of others. He heard what Jesus has done. My friends, we have heard what Jesus has done. We have read what Jesus has done. Do you have faith? Do you have faith that He can come and heal your servant? Or say the word and heal your servant? You know, faith has been defined in so many different ways. But to define it in its simplest terms, faith is trust. It's trust. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Him with your life? Do you trust Him for your provision? Do you trust Him with your all? 
I know that you've probably heard this maybe many times before. Charles Bloden was a French tightrope walker and an acrobat. He toured the United States in the mid-1800s, and he was best known for crossing the Niagara Falls, usually without a safety net. He did it many times and in many different ways. He did it blindfolded. He did it in a sack. Now I ask myself, how would you do that in a sack? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you would do that in a sack. Maybe he had a sack over his head. I don't know. But he did it in a sack. He did it on stilts. He did it even sitting down and eating an omelet. Partway crossed. And then finished his journey across. I call that crazy. Probably the most daring feat was to push a wheelbarrow loaded with a heavy sack of concrete across the wire. With all that weight, the slightest overbalance would flip the wheelbarrow out of his hands and possibly him off of the wire into the falls. But Bloden was the ultimate showman. He was a master of the high wire. He regularly took the wheelbarrow all the way across the falls without an issue. One day, one particular day, after successfully going across there with a wheelbarrow, Bloden asked an impressed reporter, says, do you believe that I can do anything on a tightrope? Oh, yes, Mr. Bloden, said the reporter. After what I've seen today, I believe that you can do anything. Do you believe then, said Bloden, that instead of a sack of cement that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow, a man who has never been on a tightrope before and wheel him safely across without a net, to the other side. Oh, yes, Mr. Bloden, said the reporter. I believe it. Good, said Bloden. Get in. Get in. You know, it's one thing to express belief, to express faith, but it's an entirely different thing to get in, isn't it? My friends, Jesus Christ is God in the wheelbarrow. Get in. Get in and trust. Getting in is getting in with your life and trusting Him, having faith in Him, is it not? I have not seen Him, but I trust Him. Can you say that? I have not seen Him, but I trust Him because of the words that I have heard concerning Him. So if so, get in the wheelbarrow. And Jesus is the driver. Amen? Compassion is another common thread in these two stories. As I've already expressed, the centurion had compassion on his servant. That was the driving force that sent him to call for Jesus. But also, Jesus had compassion on this mother. This mother made no request of Jesus, did she? She didn't cry out to Jesus to come and raise her son. This woman was mourning. She's with a crowd of people. And I believe that she was, all she was probably hearing was noises, murmuring, because the, her friends and neighbors and family was mourning with her. You know, whenever you lose someone that is extremely dear and near to you, it, your life's a blur. You probably don't even remember who you had talked to in the last couple weeks or even a month. And to bury a son. You know, I can't even begin to say I would know what that would be like. 
whenever my wife's step-grandfather passed away, not when he passed away, when her stepfather passed away, I went to pick up her grandfather. But I got to experience his grief when he got into the car and was in tears and just sobbing because says no one should ever have to bury a child. I don't care if that child is 65 years old or 75 years old. You should not have to bury a child. This mother was mourning. She didn't even know Jesus was anywhere. She didn't know He was within 100 miles. She did not ask Him to do anything. But He saw her sorrow. He saw her mourning. And He had compassion on her. And He went to her. And I don't know that we can fully understand her grief today, in today's time. Because there's her, the one that was going to take care of her in her old age. Today, we could go get Social Security. or There's all kinds of assistance out there for the widow that has lost her husband and her son. But not in that day. So we can't even understand the grief that she was in. But Jesus did. He had compassion on her and He felt her pain. Isaiah 63, 8-9 says, For He said, Surely they are My people, children who will not lie. So He became their Savior. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. And the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. And He bore them and carried them all the days of old. In their affliction... He was afflicted. You know, I've heard people say, Oh, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. No, you don't. I don't care if you've experienced an identical situation. You do not feel that person's pain. Because you don't know how much that person loved that person that they lost. So you can't really feel their pain. You can't really understand it. Because everyone experiences pain and suffering differently. To a different level. But Jesus Christ can and does feel our pain. And has compassion. He is the only one that can truly sympathize with the pain that we are experiencing. The suffering that we are experiencing in our lives. He had compassion on the widow. He saw and felt her pain. Even though she made no request... He interceded. He interrupted this funeral. Praise the Lord. Jesus, my friends, sees people. There's a passage in Matthew 19.26. It says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He beheld them. Behold means to look on, to observe, to discern clearly. That is what Jesus does. He discerns clearly. You know, I read a book a while back, and actually I'm rereading part of it now. And I may have shared this before. So if it did, bear with me. It talks about, so, you know, you all have these fa- your favorite uh, TV series, or, or whether it's a movie or whatever. You always have in TV series or movies what they call extras, Right? You know what I'm talking about with the extras? Well, the extras are those people that you see in the scenes that you see that they're not really important. You don't know their names. You don't know, you know, they don't get the credits on the screen or none of that. But 
they're the bystanders. They're the people out on the sidewalk that's walking by while the camera's focusing on the main characters, right? They are the ones in the restaurant sitting down. You see all the other tables have people on them. They're at them. But the camera focuses on the main characters. You know, I, th I thought of NCIS. Well, everyone likes NCIS, right? You know, the, the camera focuses on Gibbs and um, McGee and uh, Bishop and focuses on them. But there's all these other people in all these scenes, right? But the camera does not focus on them. But imagine sitting down trying to watch that show, that show or movie, and the only ones in the whole scene is the main characters. No one else there. Well, it wouldn't be very real-like, would it? I mean, if every scene you had three people sitting at the table and no one else, they're out on the sidewalk trying to catch the bad guy, and no one else is there. They want it to be realistic. But the camera still only focuses on the main characters. My friends, Jesus focuses on people, even the extras. So let's call them extras. Those are the people in the grocery line that you don't know their names. They're the extras. But now you see a familiar face, you see a relative or a good friend, boom, you're going to focus right on them and go to them, right? But oh, there's so many extras in our lives, isn't there? Stop and let that sink in for a minute. At the grocery store, there's extras. At the restaurant, there's extras. Out walking on the street, there's all kinds of extras, people around us that we then tend not to interact with. That's not the way of Jesus. He focuses on them. He interacts with them. We need to become intentional in sharing Jesus with those extras all around us. We need to be intentional in helping those all around us that need compassion. We need to become intentional about it. Focus on people. We need to see people and not look past them. We need to imitate Jesus, right? Well, let's imitate Jesus in this. Lastly, wow, I'm getting long today. and Boy, imagine if I had the whole message that I didn't lose. <laughs> Lastly, is this centurion's faith. His faith. What healed that servant? Faith. Was it just the power of Jesus? No. It was the faith of the centurion. The faith of the centurion. I want to read the same story from Matthew. Because in Matthew's version, it's the centurion talking with Jesus. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. My friends, as you have believed, it will be done for you. It all goes back to faith, doesn't it? All goes back to trust. Ephesians 3, 14-21 For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus forevermore and ever. Amen. It is his power in us, but it is our faith that he uses. If we do not have the faith, if that centurion did not have the faith that Jesus could heal that servant, he would have died. It is his power in us, and it's our faith, the faith that we have. So we should pray, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith today, Lord. That my faith will move mountains. That my faith will open blinded eyes. That my faith in you will open deaf ears. That my faith in you, Lord God, will do all things. He can do abundantly above. All that we even, He can do more than we can even imagine. Now, His, His power is just so awesome that we truly can't even fathom it. But it's there. If we just believe it, reach out. Let Him work in and through us for His glory. To God be the glory. Not ourselves, but for His glory. Believe and have faith. Amen?